Well, good morning. And uh, it's always a little bit intimidating to be introduced because the buildup is, you know, kind of leaves you a little nervous. <clears throat> but I'm grateful of one thing, and it's been clear all morning that um, ultimately we're here because the Spirit is working here and has things to do. And it's not really about us, and it's not about me. Um, and I'm grateful for that. It's a little different coming in. Um, you know, as a guest preacher, because I haven't been here. I haven't been here over the last few weeks. And so I don't come with a context of what you've been doing. I came with a particular message that, uh, uh, to share with you. And then you come here, and I've been here since like 9 or 9.15, and your leaders here early praying for the Spirit to move, you know, in this service today. You know, kind of reminding me that whatever I prepared, still God has something that He's doing. Now, maybe it's all going to be what I, you know, came here with. Maybe He's got other things He wants to do, and I need to be aware of that as well. So, I mean, I just appreciate your leaders. I hope you do too, um, because they are praying for you and for God's work here, and it's really evident to come in and see that happening. And I'd just like to pray before I even get going, if you'd join me, please. Uh, Father, I just come today and very thankful for this church, thankful for the chance to be able to share with them. Um, and you know, God, you know what I've prepared, you know the things that I believe you have given me to, for this congregation to hear. And yet I want to be surrendered as well to however your spirit might move. If there are things I need to change or need to add, that you'd bring them to mind. Most of all, I pray that your spirit would be at work to, I don't know, to bring the word home, to um, help, it, help us to recognize the things that you want to do in our hearts and to do in our community. And uh, God, we're just open to be moved by you. And so... We just put this in your hands and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I told you, I have a particular message that I wanted to bring, but I'm going to start with a story. My oldest daughter, who is now in her early 40s, when she was in high school, um, we had two cars. Uh, I just heard Pastor Simon went down to get a car. He got a second car. That's awesome. We had two cars. We had an old car. And then we had an older car. The older car was the one my kids got to drive. And on this particular occasion, my daughter had driven to the west side somewhere. I don't know the west side that well, but somewhere way out. And uh, she came home that night about 9 or 9.30 and pretty, you know, just normal, excited, like typical evening. And she walked in the door and she said, oh, by the way, Dad, when I left Beaverton, a red light came on on the dashboard of the car. It had a little picture of a, I don't know, some kind of picture or something. And uh, so I don't know what it was, but I, you know, just drove straight home and everything's fine. And I thought, oh, God, uh, the things that you realize you haven't, you know, equipped your children for. Um, <laughs> So I, I told her, honey, uh, that red light means that there might not be any oil in the engine, and if you keep driving it, that it's likely to seize up, and then we won't have an engine, and there won't be an old car for you to drive. And uh, so the next time you see that red light, don't drive straight home. Try to pull over in a straight, safe place, and in this day and age, that day and age, find a phone that you can call me, and I'll come and get you, and we'll put oil in the car. 
Because the reality is, if you don't keep oil in your car, and if you don't do kind of the routine maintenance uh, to kind of keep it okay, then ultimately that car is not going to work very well and won't take very good care of you and your family. And, uh, you know, good lesson. Uh, kind of related to that, can anybody tell me what next Sunday is? <laughs> Somebody boldly declaimed, yeah, all right. So let me just share with those of you who are young fathers. Are there any young fathers in the crowd? Well, there's one, okay. Two. Any of you who are young dads, let, let me tell you, Mother's Day is your job. Um, if, if you want your kids to grow up to know how to honor and love their mother, they're going to learn that by how you love and honor their mother. Be careful never to let these words come out of your mouth. Oh, honey, you're not my mom. Mm-mm. Somebody said that I'm, I'm coming with a lot of wisdom. That's part of my wisdom. Um, <laughs> it will not go well. Um, and again, if, if you want to have, you know, a, a beautiful and healthy marriage, you know, you need to take care of that relationship. You need to keep honoring one another and expressing that to one another. Because if you don't, if you begin to take it for granted, then the marriage begins to become not all that God intended it to be. And so, just a word to the wise. And that's, that's kind of what I, I'm bringing to you today. Because the, the message I want to talk to you about is, how do you love and take care of your pastor? So over the years as a pastor, I have heard lots of messages about a pastor's responsibility for the flock. You know, I, I titled this message Pastoral Care, and I realized that the first thing that pops into my mind, and maybe yours, when I think of pastoral care, is how the pastor is taking care of the people. But I'm talking about the reverse. How do the people take care of the pastor? And I've heard a lot of messages about how you're supposed to respond to his teaching, but I don't know that I've heard a lot about how do you love your pastor and I think one of the reasons is it's a really tough message for a pastor to share because it, you know, it feels self-serving. You know, this is how you love me. Um, and so it's, I counted a, a blessing to be able to come to you and try to encourage you in that way because, hey, I got nothing to gain or nothing to lose. And so uh, I can share these things with you and, and hopefully they will be helpful and I have a feeling that a lot of the things that I'm going to tell you, you're already doing. And, and, and that's awesome. But over the years that I pastored, uh, I not only was pastoring the, my, the church I was in, but I was also in leadership for the kind of the de denomination for the Northwest. And I helped work with a lot of churches and pastors over the years. And, uh, and in that beautiful relationship... Sometimes I, I had to watch it really go sour and really, really be painful. And the reality was it was rarely because of a sin issue. It was rarely because of, you know, some, some big theological debate. It, it was rarely about that. It was mostly a matter of neglect, a matter of becoming familiar, a matter of kind of taking one another for granted, and as a result, that relationship began to just, you know, lose its fire. 
And so, so what, what I'm here today is to, to bring a little preventative maintenance, if you will. So um, I'm not here to fix a problem because as far as I know, there's not a problem. And so if you're hearing the things that I, I'm saying and you start looking at one another going, hey, is something going on that we don't know about? No, there's not. <clears throat> that's, that's not what I'm here for. But uh, hopefully hearing some things that you, know, that you may be doing, and I want to encourage you to keep doing them, maybe some things that aren't happening, some little inside tips, how to make your pastor feel special, uh, things that uh, hopefully will be helpful. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to walk you through some passages in Scripture, but I want you to understand this is not going to be a typical sermon. So we're not going to take a passage and you know, dive deep into it and look for all the theological nuances and all that stuff. That's, that's not the purpose of this message. I, I want to look at big picture things. You know, I want to look at the big picture of what God is doing and how, his, how he is doing that through his pastor, what the congregation and what God is doing there. And as we talk about some things that you can do to infirm and build your pastor up, to see that they come out of, they come out of a, a biblical foundation, not just kind of whimsical out of the air. So with that, first passage I'm going to look at is Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, let me read that to you. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. The book of Ephesians is just its an awesome book. It's like a mini Romans um, and it just covers the sweep of what God's plan and purpose is. And as you read through it, even in chapter 1, it talks about all the blessings that we have in our relationship with Jesus Christ. But Paul also gives us a glimpse into the purpose of God. He said this is the purpose that God is working throughout the ages. And that is to bring all things in heaven and earth and under the earth, all things under one head, even Jesus Christ. All pointing to the, to, the, to the new kingdom and the new heaven and new earth. That is what God is doing. And he's got a plan to carry that out. And that plan is Jesus Christ. And when he came on the cross and then rose again, you know, that's when he began to set us free. That's when he began to redeem his people and to, to, to make us his body. And we have the responsibility to continue that work, to bring about the reconciliation of all things, to bring about the message that extends the kingdom into the earth until God says it is time to bring, make all things to an end. That's the responsibility of the community of believers, the church. And so, uh, but God says, I've got that too. I've got a plan for how that happens. I have given certain leaders to you. I've given you pastors and teachers you know, elders would come in that same kind of vein. Others who, who are going to help equip you for the work of the ministry. Because I did not call Pastor Simon, I did not call Pastor Mike, I didn't call these leaders to do all the work of the ministry. I called them to equip my church for the work of the ministry. And that's what we're all about. And so he said, I want you to grow in the maturity and to understand who I am and to be transformed by... Uh, uh, by my word, and I want you to keep continuing that work, and I've given you certain leaders to help bring that about. 
So, with that in mind, Paul writes to a pastor named Timothy, who happened to be the pastor of the church in Ephesus, and this is the charge that he gives to him in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Now, let me stop before we get to the charge itself, and let me ask you, as you look at those words, um, on a scale of 1 to 10, how serious a charge is this? Huh. I mean, this is, this is really sobering, and it should be, you know, on the, on the, on the basis of uh, Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, on the appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge in that context, and the charge is this. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So, one of the primary responsibilities Pastor Simon has is to proclaim the word to you, to, to teach you. And, and it's not just a matter of teaching you the stuff you need to know, because it goes on to talk about he needs to encourage he needs to rebuke, correct. I mean, it's very parental kind of in its terminology. So, so he's a part of wanting to help shape you by the power of the Spirit. That's the only one who's really going to shape you by doing, carrying out the ministry that he's been called to do. And so um, to understand that that's what his responsibility is. And kind of implied, you can see that Gosh, what was my response supposed to be? Well, okay, you just say, well, listen, respond. But in particular, um, Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, uh, and 13. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So this begins to show us something of how are we supposed to respond to this uh, person who God has called to, to lead us. And one of the simplest answers is to respect him. You know, to hold him in high regard. Um, when, when I came here to Portland, I came, I was 36 years old. I was already in a career in, uh, uh, in marketing. You know, I was a big businessman. I had to make, you know, big success story in the corporate world. And God said, no, you're not. And he brought me to Portland to go to seminary. And part of the way I helped pay for seminary was to get a part-time job in a church. I was a high school guy, you know. So, um, I was the guy who was paid part-time to work with all the high schoolers. You know, I was supposed to be lively, crazy, you know, take them to retreats and teach them and, you know, get involved in all that stuff. And I did that for a couple of years. And then the senior pastor wanted to expand his staff, and he said, I would like you to come on board as an associate pastor, and I'd like you to be responsible for our families and for small groups and, you know, the education ministries of the church. And I, that, I, that was honored, and I thought, that's awesome, because it's, you know, it was on that path that kinda, I felt like God was leading to you know, be in the pastoral ministry. But I had a, a, a question and a concern. 
will the church be able to see me as anything except the high school guy? Okay? That may not seem like a big question, but man, it is a big question. Because if I'm going to try to lead families, you know, and adults who are basically my age and older, am I going to have the the kind of, uh, I don't know, respect, authority to be able to, are are they just going to see somebody who works with their kids? Because that's what I'd been. So I ended up taking the position, said, yeah, I, I, I want to do that. And he announced it to the congregation. And I'll never forget, there's a, a family who my family has been very close with the whole time we are there. They're dear, dear friends. And they came up to me at the end of the service, and they said, oh, this is, they're so excited. Congratulations, Pastor Mike. And it really caught me by surprise, because these were just close friends. We'd have dinner together and all that kind of... All of a sudden... I was referred to as Pastor Mike, and they never referred to me in any other way from that point on. Now, our friendship didn't change. We were still very close. We did lots together. Our kids did stuff together and all of that. But they were trying to communicate to me that that we are willing to see you in this role and to honor that, and this is the way they expressed it. And when they did that, it spread in the congregation, and that became the way I was known from that point on. And what it served to do was to empower me to be who they had called me to be. Um, It was a simple thing. And I'm not saying that the way you affirm and encourage Pastor Simon is by giving him a title. I don't don't even know how you call him. If you call him Pastor Simon or just Simon, or that's not the point. The only point is what are the ways that you demonstrate to him that you respect his place and you honor what he's doing for you? And to, to figure what that is going to be. Um, one of the ways you do that is by taking his preaching seriously and making sure that when he brings a message to you on a Sunday morning from the Word of God that, that you hear it and you take it uh, with, uh, as, if, as if God is bringing that to you. And you wrestle with it and you come to grips with it, you ask the Spirit to, to, to help you understand that you let the Word of God begin to change and shape you, um, that's one way you show him that you really honor him. Now, when I was ultimately the preaching pastor of that church, um, I used to tell the congregation, I do not expect you to believe things because I tell you they're true. I don't want to come and bring a message and have you say, okay, well, Pastor Mike said that, so it must be. No, 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 no. I want my people to be able to to read and study the Word of God, to to be able to seek the Spirit's wisdom. You know, I mean, we all have the Spirit to teach us. You don't need a pastor to do that. Um, And and I want them to be able to do that and to, to grapple with it and determine what they believed the Spirit was telling them. That being said... I also told them that I, I expect you to take what I bring to you and to treat it with respect and honor and be an important part of that consideration when you're grappling with what the truth is. And I expect you to do that for three reasons. The least of which is I spent five years getting a three-year degree that made it possible for me to be a pastor. The second reason is because I spent hours studying 
every week, praying that God would grant me the eyes to understand what his word was saying, to be open and vulnerable enough for the spirit to break me with the truth and begin to shape the things in me that needed to be shaped, and then to, to be vulnerable enough to come and bring that to the congregation and tell them, this is what I believe God wants us to hear. Um, and that's worth attention. That's worth, you know, respect when you, when you hear the word of God come to you that way. And then the third reason is because of what it said in Ephesians chapter 4. He is here by God's design, his plan for the church to, as an equipper. And if for no other reason, you need to pay attention to what he says because of that. Because if you choose to disregard whatever he says, then be careful because you may be choosing to disregard what God is trying to communicate to you. Um, so, that being said, what, do you, what if you don't agree? I mean, what if Pastor Simon brings a message and he teaches you some things and you say, oh, man, I don't know about that. And you go to the Word of God and you, and you read and you pray and you're not sure that you really agree with that. I mean, what do you do with that? Well, for one thing, I, it should be no surprise. You know, I, we are at all different places in our journey with the Lord and how the Lord is shaping and equipping us. Would it, would it be amazing if we all saw everything exactly the same? I mean, that would just be unbelievable. And so we need to recognize that, that God is working in all of us at different times and in different ways, and, and there may be things that you're not yet understanding. There may be things Pastor Simon's still not yet understanding and still learning. And so you shouldn't be surprised that that's the case. And, you know, the, the truth is that you can go right now and you can look at all kinds of really godly leaders across the country who are studying the Word of God and praying and, and trying to understand what it's saying, and they don't agree. And the, the thing is, uh, barring those issues that define who we are in Jesus Christ and how we come into the family of God and those kinds of things, there are lots of things that, I, you know, we won't, we won't know for sure until we get to the kingdom. And they should not divide us. And so recognizing that those differences will be there. And I think Pastor Simon needs to know. I mean, I think you need to feel the freedom to come to him and say, I, I'm just having trouble with this. I don't, I don't see it this way. And can we talk? I mean, I think that, I mean, any pastor would would value the fact that his congregation is taking the word so seriously that they want to have that kind of give and take and discussion. Two suggestions if you're going to do that, if you want to love him well. One is, when you come, come with humility and respect. Don't come to beat him over the head with what you found to be true. Don't come to argue. Come to seek a dialogue. And I would expect him to meet you the same way, in humility and respect, as you look at the word together. And uh, I think he would value that. The second thing I would recommend, and this is kind of an insider tip, I don't know that anybody would think of this, don't come till Monday or Tuesday, even better. Um, I don't know if there's any way to appreciate what, a, what an investment it is to prepare for a Sunday morning, um, to, to go through the process of 
you know, struggling through the word and, and crafting a message that, that is really personal and a, and a passion to want to communicate it well to a congregation that just hope will be, will be moved and, and all of that. And when I get done with a Sunday worship service, man, I was just physically and emotionally wiped out. Now, I'd hold it together. It's not like I couldn't do anything. If you want to have a potluck after, I'm, I'm good with that. Um, <laughs> But I am not probably in the best space to have somebody come marching up the aisle with a bone to pick with me as soon as the church service is over. So, you want to love him well? Save it for a day or two. Let him chill out a bit after the service. He'll be in a much better place to have that kind of conversation. That's just a, that's just a, a, a gentle tip. Um, Hebrews 13, 7 through 8. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Did you hear that? They keep watch over you as to those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden for that would be of no benefit to you. Um, I think you need to be aware of the burdens your pastor carries. Um, I have been, well, just in general, in this, in, in this country, probably in the world, but I know this country a lot better, the, the rate of pastoral burnout is, is atrocious. Pastors who pour out and pour out and pour out until they have nothing left and they are they are empty often broken um and you know it just it's heartbreaking to see what happens that's not even counting the last year this last year being in leadership at a church has got to be one of the most uh, difficult burdens I, could, I can't even imagine what it's like to try to lead a church through a pandemic where, where all of a sudden you can't meet and all of a sudden try to figure out how do we continue to minister to people? How do we know where they're at? How, how do we keep encouraging them? How do we do our mission when everything that we've done in the past we can't do anymore? I mean, how do we handle finances? You know, when, when we have people who either you know, aren't giving anymore? Are they people who are losing jobs and can't afford to give anymore? I mean, there's just so many heavy issues that leaders of the church have had to respond to. And then you're not talking about just the pandemic, but you've got social and racial injustice. You've got uh, fires. You've got rioting. You've got politics. All of these things, real front burner things that are all over the news and people all with uh, personal issues and personal understandings and not always on the same page and, and you desperately trying to, to, to hold a flock together to continue to serve Jesus Christ and love one another in spite of all of that. I mean, that's, that's just the, the weight of that and understanding that your leaders do carry that weight because they love you and because they love the church and because they love the Lord. And, and they don't always know the right answers. Sometimes there aren't any answers. It's just being able to hold all that's going on, try to figure out how do we do this together. Um, 
They feel a, a, a burden for um, your life in Jesus Christ and your growth and, and wanting you to, to thrive in your relationship, wanting your marriages and your families to, to thrive with Christ at the center and, and seeing your children grow up in, in the faith and, and, and wanting that to be a part of what happens. They want to see the mission of the church being carried out and lives being changed in the community and, uh, and, and, and all of that. And then if they have all of the things planned for the week that they've set up to do, they've got their sermon prep and they've got their meeting with the board and they've got, you know, any other meetings that happen and whatever other things that are always going on and you get that all scheduled for the week, a nice full week of stuff. And then you've got all the things that aren't scheduled. The call in the middle of the night. You know, somebody's gone in the hospital and is... Uh, you know, in serious condition and needs somebody to be there. Uh, a family that's in a crisis in their marriage and, and desperately needs somebody to hear them and to speak with them and encourage them. Um, the, the sudden unexpected death of somebody in the family. Now you're grieving with a family and helping them plan a memorial service. Um, to one degree or another, you know, he's, like, he's carrying your burden and he's carrying your burden and he's carrying your burden. And you may know about what, what you are, but you have no idea what he's doing with everybody else. And those all weigh on him. Now, understand, it is not really his responsibility to carry all those burdens. Um, and he needs to recognize when he needs to put boundaries in place to stay healthy. But it is not easy. It is not easy when you love your people and you don't like to see them hurting and you care about them deeply. And so, you know, those are all issues. And as you're going through all of that, um, he's also got to deal with the issue of beginning to wonder at times, am I ministering to my family? Uh, am I pouring so much into my church that my wife and my kids aren't getting the same thing? I did more teaching to my church than I did with my own kids. And, and I regret that. So that is a nagging thing that is there. And then there's this other thing that is not the way it's supposed to be. It's not godly, but it's in there. That one place back in the back that keeps whispering, am I enough? Am I even enough? Do, do I have enough to, to even do what I've been called to do? Um, so all those are going on. And... And you know what? No matter what happens, no matter what kind of crisis happens during the week, no matter how he's feeling, whether he's tired, whether he's discouraged, whether he's happy, whether he's, you know, everything's great, no matter what's going on, Sunday's going to come. Every week. Every week Sunday comes. And so, uh, he, it... <laughs> And he's going to come up and he's going to share with you the word of God. And there's going to be some Sundays where he just doesn't feel like it. There'll be some Sundays where he's, he may be having trouble feeling like the Spirit's there and wondering what's happening. How do I keep carrying on when I don't even know that God is there when I'm trying to preach? That's a reality that everybody faces. You face it. So does he. And every Sunday it comes, and every Sunday he needs to be faithful to come and continue to do what he's called to do. So those are the kind of burdens that uh, potentially are there. And so the question is, so what can we do? What do we do about that? How do we make that any better? Well, here's a couple of things I really encourage you in. 
Somebody needs to keep close enough to him to know when he's stretched too thin. Somebody needs to know him well enough. Probably the elders uh, are, are the first place. Uh, so, but anyway, I mean, I, I think you need to be in touch enough to be aware of when, when those times come because sometimes the person who is experiencing that is the, has the most difficulty recognizing it. Um, and, and so he may need people to come into his life and say, you know what, I think you need a break. Or I think you need to take a couple of days. I, I think maybe you're trying to take on too many things and maybe you need to let some of your other leaders take in. I mean, somebody's got to be able to ask those questions um, for, for his well-being. Uh, it may be that it, it even gets to a point where, you know, a pastor needs to see a counselor, see a therapist. So, so let, let, me, let me just say kind of on the side I, I think that the church in this country not this one the bigger capital C church in this country is way behind in recognizing issues of mental health and trying to figure out how's the church going to minister there and the reality is that, that there, there are people within the community here who are wrestling with mental health issues and may be afraid to even let anybody know because there's this stigma that well, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't have that kind of issue going on. I should be okay. I have the spirit. That's, we deal, everybody deals with those same kind of issues. Um, there was a worship leader in the church that I attend now, and at the end of the service, they were doing a closing song, and she got up and she shared before we sang it. She said, I wrote this song. I wrote this in one of the darkest times of my life in the last year. I was struggling with deep depression and really having a hard time. And, you know, I've been getting some help. And these are the words that I, the Spirit gave me to share with you. And so she led us in this beautiful song of God's love and care and redeeming work. And uh, afterwards, I went up to her and I said, you know, I mean, I just want to thank you. Because when a leader will stand up in front of the congregation and say, I'm struggling with depression and this is how God has served me and ministered to me, it opens up the door for everybody to be able to say, I, I have a problem, and I need some help. And sometimes the, the people who are in leadership are afraid to let people know because they, there's this idea to a sign of weakness or that they don't have enough faith, and that's just not true. We need to be able to minister to people in those areas. I have a 44-year-old son who lives on the streets, uh, bipolar, schizophrenic break. Uh, my wife and I ride down on our bikes every Wednesday with uh, packs of food, originally to, to find him, to see if he was still alive, because we don't ever hear from him. And we find him, and he just yells at us and screams because he's angry, and we give him food and then we take the rest of them and we pass them out to the homeless as we go through town. Um, it's just something that we started doing. Um, I have a sister-in-law who lives with us who is, has got some severe mental disabilities. I have foster kids. I have one left, my last one, that is got developmentally disabled. Um, his 
the other one that we had recently uh, moved out. He became too old to live with us anymore. Now he's in an adult home. And, and by the way, um, you know, he's severely mentally uh, delayed. And I need to know the drummer's name. Who's the drummer here? Raquel? Okay. So I need to know that because he, he goes to church with us. We still pick him up. He's still family. Um, and he loves drummers. And so when I go from here, I'm going to his place and pick him up and take him to hang out for the afternoon. We're going to have lunch. And the first question he's going to ask, did they have a drummer there? What's the name? So um, anyway, you don't have to go anywhere in our city to, to realize that there is a severe mental health crisis all around us. And the church needs to be a part of the answer. I don't know what it looks like, but certainly it needs to be the answer for, the, you know, your own community. And so just to be aware that that, that might be something. Uh, you may want to make sure that somebody's pouring into him spiritually. You know, you may want to ask that question. I mean, maybe you already know that he's got some connections with people who are kind of nurturing his own faith. I mean, I, I told my wife one time, I felt like I'm pouring out and pouring out and pouring out and nobody's pouring in. And that's not the good way to live. Um, and you may need to encourage him to take a spiritual retreat. Maybe he does that already. Um, I used to get to take a spiritual retreat every, every year five days to my mother-in-law's, which that doesn't sound like a retreat, but boy, it was. They had a pool, and she fed me, and, you know, and I just, I didn't have any phone calls. I just studied the Word of God and prayed. It was unbelievable. Talk about being renewed. Though you may not have five days, but man, you can take a weekend. You can take a, you know, you may need to encourage you and make sure that you're getting some time with nothing else. Turn the phones off and just seek God. Um, so, um, okay, let's see. I've got a couple of other things that I want to be sure to share. One of the ways that you can encourage him is to love his family well, okay? So just, I mean, just remember that, I mean, it's an awesome thing to be the pastor's wife, and it's pretty daunting too, um, especially if there's expectations of what the pastor's wife is supposed to be. Now, she may have set that because you know, he, they planted the church, so that's a little different than coming in to a church from the outside and say, oh, okay. Um, but still, I just, I encourage you with, with his wife, make sure that she's serving in those places where she's gifted, where her heart beats, and not just in the places where you expect a pastor's wife to be. Um, but I really have a heart for his kids. How, any pastor's kids? Anybody raised as a pastor's kid? Ha! Huh. No, okay. So, let me tell you. Th there's something kind of cool about being a pastor's kid. There's a, there's a plus side to it. You're kind of the inner circle. Um, you're the center of what's going on, maybe a little ownership. And then there's a kind of a dark side where people are looking at you with an expectation that you're going to be better than the rest of the kids. You're going to set the example. Uh, and it may not be something that you put on them. It may be something they take on themselves, but it's not fair there are adults around all the, in the world who are hurting because um, they're carrying the wounds of being a pastor's kid. I had a dear senior come up, senior, like an old person, not a high school senior, 
<coughs> come up to my youngest son and tell him, <coughs> excuse me, that if you need to quit doing what you're doing because you're going to compromise your dad's ministry. Can you imagine the burden to put on a 12-year-old kid who's just trying to navigate puberty? Um, so let his kids be kids and, and honor them like you do all of your other kids with all their, you know, foibles. And uh, that would go a long way to encouraging him. Okay, I need to wrap up. So here's the last thing I just want to share quickly, and that is one way to bless him is to take care of his family financially. So you need to, he, he, needs, a, he needs a living wage for his family. And so I don't know what that looks like. There's no, fine, there's no numbers. There's no magic numbers. There's no set fees. There's none of that. All I tell people is you need to be asking the question, are we taking good care of our pastor? So every time you sit down to do the budget and you're looking for all the things that you're going to invest in the ministry, somebody better be asking, are we taking care of our pastor and his family? Maybe some things you can do, maybe some things you can't, but you need to keep looking at that because you love him and his family. Um, and then the last thing, um, I used to have what I called a Barnabas file. So Barnabas, in the Bible, I don't know if you remember in Acts, I think Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. And so I had a Barnabas file. And in that file went every note, every card, every letter, nice letter, <laughs> not every letter. <laughs> but everything that came with the intent of encouraging my heart went into that file. And it sat in my drawer. And whenever I got to those times when I felt really discouraged or I felt like, God, I don't think they love me anymore or whatever, you know, having your pity party, I'd pull out the Barnabas file and, and look through it. So what I'm saying is don't assume your pastor knows you love him. Don't assume your pastor knows that you're just still happy he's here and you love hearing from him. You need to tell him. You can tell him face-to-face, -face, you can write him a card, you can send him a note, you can put a sticky note on his door and ring the doorbell and run away. I mean, you can do all kinds of things. <laughs> but make sure he knows. Don't assume he just gets it. And, and, don't, and, and this is kind of a long-term thing. Don't send him a card tomorrow because I preach this message and say, okay, did my thing to encourage the pastor. I've sent my card, now I'm done. No. Continue to look for those times that you can encourage him in that way. And if something, he does something that is just awesome for you, man, tell him. Um, so, anyway, sorry, this, this went longer than I intended, but uh, hopefully it's a blessing. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you for your design for the church and uh, how much you love your people and those that you've given to help us grow. And I just pray that the relationship here between the community of believers and the leaders that you've given them would continue to thrive and grow and that their work together would not be a burden but a great blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.